Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for you have spoken and you have given us your word, the Holy Bible. We are now going to open up your word. We pray that you may unstop our ears, open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see the wonder, the love, the excellency, the beauty, the glory of Christ Jesus our Lord, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, may I invite you all to uh, turn back to John chapter 1. And for the children, uh, we are going to ask you to at least write down the text this morning. If you're very young, just write down, Behold, the Lamb of God. If you're older, you can write down, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now the adults, you know what I'm going to preach on. It's John chapter 1 verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is one of the most well-known texts in the Bible. It has been the occasion of the conversion of ever so many people. It was said of Spurgeon when he was trying out a new venue for preaching. Uh, and he just sounded out this text, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And one of the workers there, we're doing cleaning or maintenance, heard this text and came to faith in Jesus. What a powerful text. Well, for those of you who uh, are just here this morning, the first time perhaps, uh, we have been looking at the life and ministry of John the Baptist in our morning services. And we find it to be helpful. Uh, we have not finished with that yet. And the more I think about John the Baptist, the more I come to know that John was the most selfless and self-effacing man. Here we have a man of God who lived only for the glory of God and the good of others and not for himself at all. He didn't have any properties or money. He was living in the wilderness. His dress was the most rugged. He was eating, he was eating wild honey and locusts. So he was not dependent on the food supply of the city or the village. And his one consuming passion was 
to call people to go back to God and to call them to faith in Jesus. He was not thinking of himself. And I would like to think of John the Baptist as the model and standard for all, not just Christian workers, but for all Christian believers. In our text here, it says, the next day, but what happened before was that uh, some leaders from Jerusalem, Levites, priests from the Pharisees, they came to question John the Baptist and asking him, who you are? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah as promised in Malachi? Are you the prophet as promised in Moses? Who are you? And John, to their surprise, said, none of the above. And they said to him, so who are you? And he decoded from Isaiah, he says, I am the forerunner to the Messiah. And then Jesus was coming to him. Now, already Jesus was baptized by John, and John knew who Jesus was. But Jesus came back to him, and John the Baptist, pointing to Jesus, said, Look, people, look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We are going to see John the Baptist understood the identity and the ministry of Jesus far better and deeper than the disciples. Even after three years with Jesus, the disciples did not come to know Jesus as deep and as profound as John the Baptist at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He understood Jesus to be the Lamb of God. We shall look at that in more detail. John the Baptist exercised a twofold ministry. First of all, he called sinners to repent, and then he pointed them to the Savior, to Jesus, the Lamb of God. Now, first of all, John came along and he was preaching against the sins of his own people, God's people, God's chosen people, the Jews. And he told them to their face their rebellion against God, their inconsistency in life, and their sins and iniquities. And John was telling them, you people, you are like poisonous snakes. You are dirty and filthy and foul. You know you are so unclean and dirty that you need to be washed completely over. And John was preaching the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist certainly did not aim to be a popular preacher. By preaching against sin like that, it won't make him popular. But then, in God's providence, he was the most popular preacher in his days and for many ages. 
I find myself somehow strangely led to preach more on sin lately, especially in the evening service. And I was asking myself, am I being too negative? Shall I be going on like that? And then it came to my mind, underlying the biblical doctrine of sin, is the dignity of humanity and the high calling of humanity. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, think like this. In the local shopping center, we got a fair bit of shop, shop lifting problem. I won't go to the details. Some of you will know better than I do. I've seen a number of cases, almost like robbery. People went to the shop and just grabbed things and went away. I guess the owners of the shopping center here, they won't think too much of that because they, well, they know the shoplifters, most of them, if they are not kids, they are people who came from uh, very disadvantaged backgrounds. They are people whom we look at them and we will pity them. But we know we can't help them much. They are people who obviously have a lot to love to trouble. And you don't find it uh, not even, I don't think they got local paper now, but certainly not uh, in Sydney Morning Herald or the Australian or the Telegraph that there were some people who stole a bottle of perfume in Pacific Square, Maruba. No news. But think like this. Suppose one day, I'm sure it won't happen, our Prime Minister should go to the local shopping centre and in the midst of the crowds, he should steal a bottle of perfume in the local chemist. That would be well news, I'm sure. BBC Well Service, Australian Prime Minister caught shoplifting and he stole a bottle of perfume of $50. Why the difference? It's the same bottle of perfume, same value. Why would the whole world be in uproar if the Prime Minister of Australia should steal a bottle of perfume? It's because of the dignity of his office and his high calling. The Prime Minister is not any other athlete Australian. He may come also from a disadvantaged background, but he's now the Prime Minister of Australia. He has a high calling, he has an important job to do. We don't expect him to steal a bottle of perfume from the local chemist. You see the point? Why the Bible is making such a big thing out of our sins is because we are men and women made in the image of God 
We're immortal souls. We're accountable to God. We have a high calling, my dear friends. That's why I say the biblical doctrine of sin actually is reminding us of our dignity and high calling. Now John preached against sin and called people to repent and hundreds and thousands of them went for his baptism. They said, yes, we are dirty and filthy, we need to be washed completely over. But my dear friends, you see, sorrow for sin, reformation of life, can never by themselves bring about forgiveness of sins or reconciliation with God. Many people wrongly think, well, if I'm sorry for my sins, that will atone for my sin, that will make up. Would it? Try think like this. Suppose someone had cheated other people of billions of dollars. One of these uh, cryptocurrency things, which I have no understanding, no recommendation for me. But suppose someone should steal billions of dollars from others and is arrested, brought before court, and he says, uh, My judge, you're very kind, and I feel really, really sorry that I've cheated people of uh, billions of dollars. I will, I really cry over that. And I promise I will never do it again. Would the judge say to him, are you really sorry? Say, yes, I'm crying, see? So let me go free. Would the judge say, well, you're sorry, you can go free? I don't think so, is it? He has to be punished. He has to pay back. You can't go free like that. And that's why John the Baptist not only preached against sin, called people to repent, but he points people to the Savior. In John chapter 1, it's very interesting that the word witness or bearing testimony from the same uh, root occurs some seven times. I counted them a number of times, yes, seven times. And it's about John the Baptist's witness. You got the Bible open, have you? Turn to John chapter 1, verse 7. This man, John, came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. And verse 8 John the Baptist was not that light. He was sent to bear witness of that light. And in verse 15, John bore witness of Jesus and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John bore witness to Jesus. John said, Well, this Jesus, he is superior than I because he was before me. In fact, Jesus was younger than John for some six months, but he was before me. Verse 19, 
This is the testimony of John. Verse 32. And John bore witness. That's about Jesus' baptism. I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. John told the people, he bore the witness, he said, I saw the Holy Spirit coming down on Jesus like a dove, and the Holy Spirit remained on him. And lastly, verse 34, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. That's a fair bit of testimony, isn't it? That is quite a number of solid teaching or doctrines about Christ, Christology. He is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit has come down from heaven and is resting upon him, and so on. John bore witness to Jesus. And in our text, he is bearing witness to Jesus that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Now let us look at our text, verse 29, in more detail. When John saw Jesus coming to him, he said to the people, Behold, behold, I don't know about you, but I love this older word, behold. For it stops me short and call my attention. Behold. Don't skip the behold in the Bible. John is saying to people, Look. Stop. Look. Look at Jesus. Look at this man who's coming to me. He's taking away the sin of the world. Look at him. And friends, I want to remind you something really basic. When you look at someone, you have to look out of yourself. When you really behold someone or something, you have to stop thinking about yourself. So to look at, we have to look out. And my dear friends, as we look into ourselves, as we really examine our own hearts and our own life in the light of God's word, what do we see? Not something we're pretty, isn't it? We're in trouble. And John calls the people, well, you look at yourself, look at your sins, nothing very pleasing or beautiful. The more we look inside ourselves in the light of God's word, the more we are in trouble. At this point, we are called to look out to Jesus. We are called to look out of ourselves and look at Jesus. I labor this point because it is of contemporary relevance. You know, in days gone by, we have the old camera with the frame, and then when you take your picture, they stick up. Remember that song, older folks? Remember that? Now we have 
camera that turned inside. The selfie, isn't it? Some people are so good at taking selfie. Uh, I hate doing that. I don't know how to do that. Uh, but it's a wonderful invention, the selfie. You got your phone, and I've seen especially girls taking selfie pictures of themselves and making up their hair, makeup, and uh, a wonderful invention. But friends, if we use the selfie excessively and incessantly take photos of ourselves, and then we look at ourselves and this is not me, it won't happen to me. Uh, but many people do that, they look at their selfie and say, wow, what a beautiful person I am. I'm really beautiful, am I? Uh, I'm just so wonderful, look, look at me, uh, look at me. Uh, friends, this is a dead end. Some of you know this ancient Greek story. The ancient Greeks have many stories of wisdom. Have you heard of that story of the young man, Narcissus? Narcissus? Remember that? Narcissus was a handsome, beautiful young man. But one day, he stooped down to a a brook, uh, a still flowing river to have a drink. And then he saw the reflection of himself. And he looked at that reflection of himself. Didn't realize it was himself. He thought, what a beautiful young man this is. Look at him. He's so full of life. He's so beautiful. And uh, he went down to hug him. When he got too close to the water, of course, the image disappeared. But he just stopped there, he gazed at his own image, and he fell in love with this reflection of himself, but he can't get him. He tried to hug him, and this, this image tried to hug him back, of course. He loved this image so much. But he couldn't get his love, and he died of grief. What's the lesson? Such a contemporary lesson. Don't think too much or too often of yourself. Don't find self-love. Self-absorption is a dead end. Self-centeredness is both ugly and self-destructive. We need to say this to our generation. Especially to the younger ones. Especially to our girls. And now even boys. But that's by the way, to look at Jesus, we have to look out of ourselves, we have to stop looking at ourselves, but now we focus. Behold, look, look at what? Look at the Lamb of God, look at this Jesus. We have to stop and think and spend time to consider and think of Jesus as the Lamb 
of God. My dear Christian friends, let me ask you, over the past week, you who named the name of Christ, how much time have you spent in thinking about Jesus? Hmm? You are a Christian, aren't you? Yes. You read your Bible, I trust. Yes, you pray. But how much time have we, have I, been spending over the past week and to just look at Jesus, to think of Jesus? How much time? I will spend half an hour just considering, thinking of Jesus. Look at him. So not half an hour, 15 minutes, 10 minutes. John says to us, look at Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Lamb that is provided by God, the Lamb that is sent by God. Now friends, I want to ask you, when you are told about the Lamb of God, what does that remind you? from the Old Testament. I suppose in the Sunday school lesson this morning, the teachers are going to talk about the Lamb of God. Where would they begin? Where do you hear about the Lamb in the Old Testament? Does it ring the bell? Old Testament, Lamb? I would think of the Passover Lamb. Remember Passover? God told the people of Israel, tonight I'm going to slay the firstborn of Egypt, in Egypt, all of them, and you are to take a lamb, a lamb for every household, you are to kill the lamb, get its blood, and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. When the angel of death should come out to kill the firstborn in Egypt, when he see the blood, or God see the blood, the angel of death will pass over that house. What does that teach Israel of all? That teaches that. The people of Israel, even though enslaved and wrong against, they are also worthy of death. They should be killed, except if they have the blood of the Lamb of God. Only the blood slain would save them. And then in Moses' law concerning the sacrifices, we got something very interesting. It says in Exodus chapter 29, verse 39. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Isn't that interesting? In the Mosaic worship, in the tabernacle, every morning they have to offer a lamb. Poor lamb, you may say. Uh, a lamb is killed every morning, blood is shed. In the evening, another lamb. Day and night, night and day, covered by the blood of the Lamb. 
And then in Isaiah chapter 53. Remember that passage? You may like to turn to that. We don't turn to that too often, isn't it? Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5 to verse 7. Now this is Isaiah prophecy about the suffering servant of the Lord, what he would do. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by stripe we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before he shivered his silence, so he opened not his mouth. The suffering servant was led to the slaughter like a lamb. And yet he went so submissively. And then it's very interesting. When we come to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8, there we are told, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You say, what? At the very last book in the Bible, we are told, God has in mind to sacrifice this lamb, his own son, from the foundation of the world. Before there was a well, the father and the son had a plan to save sinners by the sacrifice of the son as the lamb. It wasn't an afterthought. It did not just happen at the Exodus. It was not just in Moses' system of worship. It's not just in Isaiah's prophecy. It was in God's mind. Shall I use was? I got my tenses confused now. Because that was eternity, what should I say, is eternity? Everything to God is present. I'll stay with walls. My dear friends, how amazing it is. The Lamb of God, the Son of God became flesh to be our substitute. To shed his blood to save us. You all know this very well. But friends, stop and think. What wondrous love is this? What amazing arrangement. What inflexible justice of God. Why couldn't God just say, well, let there be forgiveness? Let it be done. Why the cross of Jesus? Why was he bitten? Why was he scourged? 
by the blood of Jesus dropping down to the ground is for the salvation of the world. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Notice the language there. Jesus is the Lamb for the whole world. For the whole world of humanity. White, not so white, educated, not so educated, rich and poor, notorious sinners, decent people. The Lamb of God is for the whole world. And furthermore, in John's Gospel, the world especially has the meaning of the wells that stand against God. It is a sin-sick, rebellious well, and the land is provided for such a well. But friends, we can't finish like that this morning or any time. It is not enough that we should just gaze upon Jesus without taking him in to be our own Lord and Savior. But friends, it does start by we beholding the Lamb of God. It starts with our thinking. I hope, my dear people, we all here, we do not say, oh, I've heard of this for the past 50 years. Can you tell me something new? You young people here, you can testify, I've been preaching about this for as long as you can remember since you were born, some of you. And they say, well, is there anything new? Every time I come to church, it's this. Oh yes, we're just sure it is this. But we really have to start thinking, pondering, considering Jesus as the Lamb of God. It starts with beholding Jesus as the Lamb of God. The beginning points of our relationship with God start with Jesus as the Lamb of God, as the sacrifice. It begins with that. And our faith in Jesus begins with that. It found in that that Jesus is my Savior. You know, friends, the reason we find it so difficult to focus for half an hour, for 10 minutes, 15 minutes on Jesus is because there are so many things to distract us. The devil has his own weapons of mass destruction, mass distractions. And yes, they are weapons of mass destruction, but they are, to start with, weapons of mass destruction. There are so many things to distract us from looking intensely at the Lamb of God. In days gone by, it went like this. People might be in church, and uh, the mother would be thinking of the rose for Sunday lunch, and they couldn't concentrate. But now, there are a lot more other things in it. The 24 hours news cycle, the entertainment, 
the movies, the pop songs, even the social activities. We are so busy. We are so engaged. Uh, the phones keep on telling us new, new things, isn't it? One day is pandemic, another day is war in Europe, another day is earthquake, another day is cryptocurrency, the next moment is some fashion. It's even more possible that people can be in church and looking Megal, buying computer, other things. It's quite possible. It's quite possible, isn't it? And even people, maybe you're guilty of that. Maybe it doesn't happen often here because we are small congregation. People waiting for the communion and they're looking at their phone and checking or texting all kinds of things. My dear friends, we've got so many things to distract us. We can be too busy for Jesus. Is it you? Are you too busy for Jesus? We have to say no to the disruption. We have to sit down and think. And then we have to take in the Lamb of God. As many as receive Him, to them God gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name. Oh dear friends, we have to entrust our souls not to ourselves, but to another. To Christ, the Lamb of God, who alone can save us. One last point. We notice carefully the tense here is the present tense. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus not only died 2,000 years ago, once for all, he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin, but his blood atones for sin even now. For the whole world, but especially for those who believe in him. Oh my dear Christian friends, we do not stop looking at Jesus to be the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Every day, how do you pray? Every day I go to God and I take hold of Jesus and I apply the blood of Jesus afresh to my own conscience. Is it not so with you? He takes away my sin. I will end with this. Recently I come across an older preacher who had just retired and he confessed the older he got, the more he found himself preaching the simple gospel of Christ, the Savior of the world. And he says, 
in this way. It says, sinners need it. Saints love it. You can't put it in better ways than it. Sinners need the Lamb of God. Saints love the Lamb of God. Is it true of you? Maybe so. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, we humble ourselves before you. We do confess our folly, our inconsistencies. We may profess faith in Christ, and yet how little have we been thinking of him. We say we trust in Jesus' blood, but oh God, how little have we found the preciousness of the blood of Christ. Oh, we pray that your Holy Spirit may work in our midst this morning. Whether we are experienced believers, or young Christians, or people who are seeking, may we all come to know the preciousness of the blood of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.